Being fearless for me is more about being vulnerable enough to say, I don't know. I don't really know what we should do. Let's talk about it and figure it out. All right, I want to take a moment before we get into today's episode to make an announcement. I want to let you know that I'm taking applications right now for the Create Purpose Mastermind, an intimate mastermind group for aspiring seven-figure creative female business owners who are looking to build their dream team. So if that's you, go to createpurpose.net forward slash mastermind. Here's what it's going to look like if you decide to spend a year with me and this intimate mastermind. You know, when I was putting this together, I really was thinking about what are the outcomes that I want you to get as a result of spending a year in this group. Number one is I want you to discover your unique greatness. Because when you surround yourself with people who see you for who you are and are able to draw you back to your own greatness, so much can change. Number two, I want to help you master your inner game. Because everything in business starts with self-awareness of why things are the way they are. Because as soon as you become aware of that, you get to decide and make a choice to change it for the better. Number three, I want to see you lead with confidence. You know, because I fundamentally believe you already have everything you need. You don't need another guru to show you the way. And I want to see you build your dream team. And that's what we're ultimately going to be doing in this group is building a business around a team of people that no longer centers around you, the leader, but you now have a team where you now are able to free yourself up to be the true CEO and create a visionary of your business, ultimately to grow your business, make your business easier to manage, more profitable, and a lot more fun. So if you're an inspiring seven-figure creative female business owner who's wanting to build your dream team and grow your business, then please don't wait. There's only 12 seats available, so don't hesitate in getting your application in. What if this were to be your breakthrough year? And what if this mastermind is exactly what you need to really grow your business and bring your unique potential to life? To learn more, go to createpurpose.net forward slash mastermind. Let's get back into the show. All right, I have a special episode for everyone today. I get to sit down, get to sit down. I sit down with her quite often. I I sit down with my beautiful wife, Shandy, and we have a, a, a conversation, much like many of the conversations we have in the evenings after we put the kids to bed, which was exactly when we did this conversation over a glass of wine. You're going to hear early on in the conversation how we had already been recording an episode for about an hour and we'd wrapped it up. We thought we were done. And I realized I never actually hit record. (laughs) So we jump right in to where we left off and we recorded round two. So you're going to hear us laughing about that at the beginning. But I'm really excited about this conversation because we get into what it really is like to start a business, how it's not too different than succeeding in a business and continuing to grow a business, because there's one thing that you can be certain of, and that is resistance is going to show up and try to slow you down, get in your way, keep you from doing the thing that you know you desire to do, whether you're starting a business or growing a business. So let's get into today's conversation with my wife, Shandy. You ready for take two of our podcast? I'm ready. We've been talking for an hour. (laughs) We recorded a great episode for everybody. Except that it didn't actually record. Nope. So we're having a second glass of wine. Yes. Bonus glass. Bonus glass. They've been small glasses, but we've decided to continue our conversation. So for for those just tuning in, I'm sitting down with my beautiful wife, Shandy. And for the last hour, we've been having a very deep conversation around just life, marriage, business, being an entrepreneur, both of us, all the while raising three beautiful daughters at home, you know. And then that episode didn't record. And so here we are. What about our last conversation that nobody heard (laughs) really stuck out to you? So we make sure we capture it. So I think that talking about this idea of resistance, which I know is a topic that's very important to you and being able to identify when it's popping up for me 
has been really helpful and eye-opening. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. But before we do, I just realized in the last episode that we'll <laughs> remain unknown. Magical, mythical episode. We started with you introducing yourself, just yes. giving a little bit of your story because it's a really inspiring story. Why don't you just share a little bit about what you do today? Let's start there. Like, what, what do you do? I am an interior designer. I own with some very amazing co-owners, Collected Living, and we do custom new builds, renovations, custom upholstery and furnishings. We also have studio space and some retail and an e-com online shop. Yeah. So where did this journey start for you? It started here in this house about seven or eight years ago. We just moved to Kansas City. Yeah. So I think it's been eight years this month. Yeah. And it was our, it's our first house. We've moved here from an apartment in Dallas and I was really excited about decorating it, but I got kind of overwhelmed and stuck and not sure how to move forward. And you had gotten me a book, my first interior design, like coffee table style book. And I just remember loving that book so much. And also being the first time I realized like, oh, people do this for a living. What was the book called? It's called Elements of Style by Aaron Gates. And that was just the beginning of my journey into discovery of interior design and different styles of design. I checked out literally, I kid you not, hundreds of interior design books over the next probably year and a half and just started immersing myself in this idea of design being an art form. Yeah. You got certified and yeah. I got to I got to be a spectator in the whole journey, but yeah, and now today, give everybody a little picture of how many years has it been that you've been at this? So I started out on my own about 5 or 6 years ago. It's been that long. Yeah, it's crazy Wow, to me that's been that long. But our youngest is almost four. And that, she was not yeah. even on our radar yet when I started. So I was a stay-at-home mom with two little girls. And I was doing design during nap time and after they went to bed. And I started the kind of normal, typical, like, friends would hire me to help them finish their living room or, you know, small projects here and there. And then a coworker of yours referred me some business, my very first, what I called stranger client, because I didn't know them. Yeah. And that was around the time Thea was born. No, that was before Thea was born. You were so pregnant. Like I, I, were you pregnant? I remember getting pregnant when I was finishing that job. Okay. And it's very easy for me to remember because I got so sick Mm -hmm. with that pregnancy. So I was working a little bit. And finishing my certification. And then during that time period, I met Abby and we became good friends, discovered a mutual passion for design. And she's my business partner today. But once Thea was born, that's when business really took off. And I think she was about eight weeks old and I left her with you for a Saturday color consultation and just really have not slowed down since then. Yeah. And that was four and a half years ago. Yeah. And I have the benefit of being your husband. So I, I know the stories and, you know, was there with you a little bit. And around the time Thea was born, you said something that I, it was very powerful. You gave yourself permission, uh, just this idea of permission. And I love you for you to, if you recall what you were sharing, what do you mean? What was that? What do you mean permission? When I was still pretty young in my business, I got to a point where I had to start giving myself permission to pursue this dream because it was growing to the point where it wouldn't all fit in this nice little bucket of nap time and after the kids were in bed and I didn't want it to stop growing. Like I wanted to have more clients. I started to dream about the idea of having employees and like actually growing a significantly sized business. But I kept running up into this wall of 
you know, other people's expectations and what did it look like to be a stay-at-home mom versus a working mother. And I was kind of in this world of straddling both and it was a little uncomfortable. What, what do you think made, what was the real challenge for you in that moment, in that time, you know, as you're trying, there's like just this tension between building your business and, and playing full out there, new baby at home. And yeah, I, I definitely had this mindset that, you know, being a stay at home mom or being a mom as my primary role was the most important thing. And if I were to choose to go to work full time, that I was choosing my career over my children. And I felt a lot of, of guilt around that idea. And it, it kept me from going full force at my business for quite a while. Yeah, that seems important. Like what I know, I know a little bit more, right? Where you were in that time and where you are today. It's just an important, from my vantage point, it's an important part of your story. Just this, it's an important part of anybody's story when they make a decision to give themselves permission to pursue life and really express who they are and kind of shed off all the past, the beliefs and the old yeah. stuff that just kind of weighs us down. So what led you to finally saying, I'm doing this thing? You know, I think that the pain of not doing it finally got bad enough that it was worth taking the risk of trying it a different way. And I really firmly believe that there is no one way to be a mom. There's no one way to be a dad or a family Different ways work for different people. So this isn't even about like stay-at-home mom versus working mom. Like people can get really up in arms about that, which definitely made the decision feel a little bit more like I was treading lightly. Yeah. (laughs) But just this idea that it wasn't working for me. I was not, I wasn't really happy. I love my children deeply and I wanted the best for them. But I finally got to a point where I realized like I had something pulling at me that I felt like I was supposed to do and that that didn't mean that I was a bad mom. That sounds exhausting. (laughs) It was exhausting. I spent so much time and energy like ping-ponging back and forth in my own head even and probably in conversations with you of like, well, I don't know, like, how do I move forward in this career? And what is this going to look like for our children? And what is the impact going to be? And what are people going to think about me if I make that decision? So it was a really painful, difficult time for me because I was wrestling with myself, like what I feel felt like I really wanted versus all the shoulds and expectations of other people. Yeah. And I'm going to, I was going to say now that you're on the other side of that, but I'm like, hmm, wonder, are you on the other side of that? What do you think? Like, is that still there for you or is it, is the volume turned down or? I would say that the volume has turned down, but that it's not gone away completely. You know, I, I came home from work today and Thea, our, our three-year-old said at bedtime, mom, I didn't get to spend any time with you today. She'd conveniently forgotten that she was with me from the time I walked in the door till the time I put her to bed, like making dinner. and Like literally clinging to you. Yes. Like she does 24-7. Yes. If you would let her. So, and then just like continuing to wrestle through this idea of the balance between being a working professional and a mother and wanting so desperately to do both really, really well and be really successful in both. And there's just so many days where it feels like they butt up against each other. I mean, last week is a perfect example. We had two snow days in a row, or we had a snow day and then a day that was a planned- No school day. No school day, followed by the weekend and then a holiday. So there's this like wanting to be present for my kids for snow days and making the hot cocoa and- you know, being with them when they're off school, but also knowing that 
the emails are stacking up and the appointments that had to get canceled or rescheduled and when are they going to get rescheduled and how far behind am I from missing those two days? Like there's just so much tension there even still now. Yeah. Well, and it didn't help that I was like out of town. Yeah. Can we just talk about your travel schedule lately yeah. for a minute yeah. on the podcast? What I've learned is when you're a coach, a business coach, a lot of people want to do annual planning <laughs> beginning in January. <laughs> so that put me on a plane and all over for the, yeah, I think we added up, I was away 20 nights since mm-hmm. January. So yeah. my hat's off to you. Yeah. This tension between being with the kids, pursuing your dream. What have you learned on that journey? Because just from the outside looking in, you're nowhere, nowhere close to where you were two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Like, yes, you have given yourself permission to go play. And from my perspective, you're a better mom for it. You're way happier, way more energy. You know, like fundamentally, so much has changed when you gave yourself permission, just mm-hmm. like outside looking in. But what is what have you learned through all of that? I've learned that... Taking care of myself allows me to take better care of them and you. And that's a really, it feels awkward to say that out loud sometimes. And I, I don't even necessarily mean self-care. You know, I'm not taking bubble baths or getting my nails done or those kinds of things that people kind of equate as self-care. It's choosing to spend my time Doing things that I feel like I am called to do first allows me to be so much more focused and intentional with my kids. And I'm not perfect at it over here. And I still struggle with the line between getting that last work thing done and the kids are interrupting and trying to get my attention. Like I'm certainly not nailing that every single day, but I've, I've finally come to peace with this idea that I have something to do on this earth and it's not just about raising my children. I get to bring all of myself to our family and to them and not feel like I'm lesser as, as a mother because of how I've chosen to structure our family life. Yeah, and this kind of brings us to this topic of resistance. You brought up resistance as kind of the highlight of our um, hidden conversation that nobody will know about. (laughs) Last time, I think I defined resistance, right? But how would you define resistance? What's your, when you say resistance, what do you mean by that? Resistance to me is this distraction from what you feel like is really the important thing pulling at you. That thing deep down that you know, you should do this to like move my business forward or I know that this would be important in some way but I'm afraid of it it makes me uncomfortable and so I'm gonna let myself get distracted by answering these five emails or getting pulled into a conversation with coworkers that really has nothing to do with me or just whatever thing that you're doing and then you have this like nagging guilt that you haven't done the thing yet. Yeah. And I'm wondering what role did resistance play prior to you giving yourself permission to to go pursue your your dream? Well, dang it, we didn't talk about that last time. I know, throwing you a curveball. <laughs> well, when you say that, I think what comes up for me is I feel very confident as a mother. I knew how to meet my children's needs. I knew how to keep them fed and safe and nurtured. That came very effortlessly to me. Not that it was easy. It was exhausting and draining, but I knew what to do. And so this idea of becoming an interior designer, of owning my own business, that felt hard and scary. And I mean, there's probably many times along the road that you said things to me like, so when are you going to do X, you know? And it was very easy for me to not do the work 
of starting my business or getting my design work done because I could find all these mothering and homemaking and other things that were legitimate uses of my time. Nobody could argue with me that those were important, but it wasn't always the things that like were pulling at me. Yeah. And how did it feel knowing that you, and I'm asking this question because I kind of remember, but what was your experience? So you're, you're pushing off that calling, we'll call it that calling towards that creative expression that you had Mm-hmm. And kind of telling yourself, no, 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 I need to be here to taking care of this and doing that. And, but at the end of the day, how'd that feel? I remember feeling disappointed and let down with myself that I wasn't doing the things that I knew were so important to me. And which were like pushing into the hard things of learning how to start a business. And I always blew up things to be so much bigger in my mind than they actually were. I don't know if you remember. I remember when you opened your Etsy shop, you were doing some art. That's even before the interior design. Yeah. But I remember getting a tax ID was the biggest, most scary thing. And I was so afraid I was going to F it up and that the police were literally going to bang down our door. And arrest me for not having the proper identification. Yeah. I just would blow things up in my head to be these huge, huge things. And then when I would actually just get on the Missouri.gov website, <laughs> it took so little time to get that taken care of. That speaks to how we're so different. Like I'm like two years into my business and you're like tax ID. I'm like, what's a tax ID number? Oh God, do you have a tax ID? I do. I do now because you counted me for it. But yeah, like it's, but no, that's funny. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And the role resistance played when you were first starting out. And I just heard a lot. I heard fear of other people's opinions. Mm -hmm. I mean, who listening doesn't have that? Like setting out on a new journey, creative expression, putting something new out there in the world. Of course, there's this fear of other people's opinions. But here we are with resistance. And so for some context, resistance, which you, you're smart people, you're listening, you, you kind of get it. But resistance is a term coined by Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors. And in this book, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield shares this, he calls it a diabolical enemy. It's our enemy. It shows up whenever we sit down to do our work. So for example, your work at the time was to build a business, to to develop yourself as an interior designer and, and do the work there. And as soon as we start taking steps in that direction, resistance is guaranteed to show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to show up as, yeah, but shouldn't you be over here doing that thing? Or it's that voice inside our head that's just constantly chattering away at us, telling us that, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Or you're too young, you're too old, you're not experienced enough, you know? Yeah, I I hid behind lack of education for a long time. I was so afraid of making a mistake. Can't tell you how many times I Googled, do you need a degree as an interior designer? And I'd land in all these different forums or Facebook groups with all these differing opinions, it was practically always a 50-50 split on whether people thought you needed one or didn't. But And then you I remember this, you'd read those haters out there that would literally like demolish any interior designer that didn't go to design school. Like yeah. who are these amateurs out there? Yeah. And then I just remember you like coming to me like yeah, it, uh, it was always so upsetting to me when yeah. I when I would read those those comments, but I I don't know. I just finally decided, well, let's get some education then, right? So I found this online program. It took about 18 months to complete it. And so then there was just another thing that I couldn't hide behind anymore. Yeah. So resistance. The good way you know there's resistance is resistance causes us to put so much in front of what we really want. Yeah. You know, like, got to have this certification, got to go through this training, got to make this amount of money. I got to da 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 da. I got to have all these X's, all the X before I can have Y. And we live our life constantly frustrated. Is that an accurate portrayal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring things to more of the present tense, you know, like where you're at today. We're talking about resistance. 
how is resistance showing up for you now? Now that you have a, a design studio, you have partners in business, you have employees, like you're killing it considering where, you know, where you were just what, four or five short years ago, but yet resistance is there. So yeah. how's it showing up now? In a couple of different areas. The first one being, you know, with the growth that we've experienced and just new opportunities that are coming in. It's like that saying new level, new devil. Like we're, we're getting into this world of really custom new builds and being able to really put our stamp on what that home's going to look like for this client, but through Ireland's. And so once again, I have that resistance coming up. Like, are you good enough? Can you do this? Like, what if you make a mistake? What if you don't know something that causes the whole house to, I don't know, implode? I don't know. Yeah. You know, like it just, I build it up in, as this big, huge hurdle in my mind that I don't have enough knowledge or experience to play at this level. Yeah. So this is interesting because, I mean, you sharing that story puts me in my story too. Like my dream is to be a public speaker and lead workshops and lead, lead groups of people I've never met before and, and take them somewhere. And I had that opportunity to do that about a month ago. And resistance was loud as, you know what, it was loud. What you just said, same thing for me. Like, who do you, what do you have to say? Like, really? Who do you think you are? You know, like, you're going to bomb this. And this idea of resistance leads us to self-sabotage. What do you think about that? Like, self-sabotage. So the moment you're, like, right there, literally, your dream is happening. And resistance gets louder and louder and louder. And in ways, it will lead you down a path of beginning to self-sabotage your success or, or, or the outcome that you have the opportunity to achieve. Like, did you notice any ways that self-sabotage resistance really showed up? And if you let it, it would have, it would have taken you away of, from the thing that you desired most. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably in the more in the other area that I, I said, I'm experiencing resistance and just like, as our team is growing and more people are involved and we took on some new partners a couple of months ago, we we're really, really excited about. And there's just been a couple moments along the way where like my fear and anxiety over all of the changes and the new level of responsibility and questioning my role in the company. There's definitely, I think, some self-sabotage going on and some like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, can I lead this team? Can I lead a company of this size are they gonna follow me and literally I mean picking a fight is a strong word but like picking fights over stupid details just because I, I didn't know how to navigate this new structure that I found myself in and it's like all the fear and anxiety that built up until I just let it get in the way of what I really wanted and it created the very thing that I was afraid of. Yeah. So there's something interesting about self-doubt, resistance, when you let it lead. You know, that voice in your head, like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? You've never ran a company before, you know? Because like, I, you've shared something. Like, yeah, right? And it's very normal to have those thoughts. But when you allow yourself to get hooked by them, you end up confusing the hell out of everybody around you. Because they already see you as that person like they're following you like you're in the the role for a reason you know like and as long as you stay in that place of self-doubt you end up just confusing everybody because they're like what's going on with her or what's going on with him yeah what do you th what do you think about that like can you see how that can play out looking back now yeah i i do feel that that played out in some relationships for me and thankfully i have really really solid relationships with these people and through some really great therapy and <laughs> like just vulnerable honest conversations with them and sharing how i was feeling and what i was struggling with like we are back on you know good fit footing mm -hmm. but I just look back on some of those days like, wow, I just allowed fear to just really dictate how I showed up on those, on those days. And 
I don't know, I'm toying around a lot with this idea of being more fearless in my life. And somebody, when I told them that, they asked me, oh, so do you have like a, a list of things that you're going to do this year that scare you? Like, no, I really don't. It's really all around relationships and learning to be more vulnerable and honest about how I'm feeling or like what I need from people, asking for what I need from them or from the situation and like owning the fact that I don't always know the answer. I don't always have the answer for any given situation and stop putting all that pressure on myself to show up as if I am everything in every situation. So being fearless for me is more about being vulnerable enough to say, I don't know. I don't really know what we should do, but let's talk about it and figure it out. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And I have the opportunity to work with so many other business owners too. And this idea of vulnerability is, is tough. For men and women, I was a lot of my clients are women, so I was going to say for women especially. But I'm like, no, no, no. I have some <laughs> men clients that are struggle very much with vulnerability, maybe for different reasons. But what's your experience? Why has it been so hard to be vulnerable? What do you? What have you been afraid of? I'm afraid that people will see me as like not enough, or like I don't have what it takes to be in the position that I'm in. I have a tendency to just put on a brave face and act like I have it all together. And that's both for the people around me to try to give them confidence and also for me just like a fake it till I make it kind of thing. And what I'm starting to realize in the last probably six to eight months is if I will drop that act and let people know how I'm really feeling, we can face it together. Like we can rally together and I am not less than or less the leader if I don't have all the answers within myself. Right. And, you know, I think of Brene Brown's work. She basically said, you can't be courageous without being vulnerable. Like those two words go together. And so, yeah. I just always had this idea of leadership as you are the strong one. You are the one that has all the answers and everyone around you is to lean on you. Like yeah. you're not supposed to lean on them. I have a problem with like I agree with you and I was there in my years of being a leader and what is that saying about the people around that leader? And yeah, that you don't trust them. You don't yeah. trust them enough to share how you're really feeling about something you don't trust that they have anything to bring to the table right as well i and just as a coach like i get the chance to work with so many people i get to know them i get to know what they're really about i'm so fortunate that they they tend to be more vulnerable with me and i get to see their greatness and i've never once had a client where i'm like yeah you're not great you know like everybody (laughs) it's like like yeah if you just shared that more with the world like you would have everything that you desire and then some like and what if as leaders we saw our people as powerful instead of needing our help i just i i think there's a a fine line between being a caring leader caring for people fighting for them and becoming a caretaker coddling them trying to keep them safe seeing them as somebody that can't handle the truth you know and what is that movie? You can't handle the truth. Jack, Tom Cruise, and come on, what's that movie? Oh my gosh, I don't know either. But it's a great movie. <laughs> Tom Cruise, he's like the yeah, attorney, I know, and I Jack know, Jack know, Nicholas is the. Well, if anybody thinks of it, email me because I need to rewatch that. But anyway, you can't handle the truth. Like there's this kind of this superior position we put ourselves in as leaderships, and we see everybody else as less than when we put ourselves on that pedestal and we have to be the strong one. I kind of went on a little bit of a monologue there, but I, I, I love that. Um, no, I, I have learned that concept from you, but I would, I would say I'm more like learning how to implement it. It's one thing to hear you talk about it and be like, yeah, that sounds amazing, Zach. Of course we want to see people as powerful and, We want to keep the responsibility with them and trust them. But it's a whole different experience to then go into your company and look at these people that you 
you care deeply about, you know, but to say, yeah, this person has got it. Like they've got it. Yeah. And I don't need to touch it anymore because I'm trusting them fully. Like I, I didn't even realize how much power I was taking from people by trying to be the one who had it all together. It's not just you. It's like millions of leaders around the world. Like I spent, well, 10, 11, 12 years in corporate leadership. And that was the mentality. It's like, I'm the leader. I've been given more than most. And so my job is to take care of everybody. And there's just something fundamentally flawed about that because people are powerful but what I'm not, I think what people hear when I say that, and it's great to talk about this because I think people hear like, oh, you should just trust people. That's not what I mean when I say people are powerful. They tend to kind of defer to the leader because the leader is the strong one. They got all the answers. They're confident. And so they literally kind of come to the leader and be like, what should I do today? You know, what, what do you mm -hmm. need from me? Our jobs as leaders is to remind people that they are powerful and put it back onto them. Well, what do you think? You know, what's your next step? Oh yeah, that just happened. That's not that's not what we want. Yeah, that ca customer is not happy. What do you think we should do about this? Like it's just kind of putting, keeping the power with them instead of taking it away from them because what do we often do? Oh, there's a, there's a shit storm. Well, let me, oh, I'm the leader. Let me fix it. Go here, yeah. call him, do that. We take this. So you're yeah, smiling. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things that I, I would say I'm still not great at because as I'm, I usually have an opinion and I usually have a pretty strong opinion on how I would handle it or how I think it should be done or what the next step should be. There's not usually a situation where I'm like, I have no idea, you know? So it's really been difficult for me to slow myself down enough to take that pause and ask that other person well, what do you think that we should do? Can you see, what is the opportunity for you if you did more of the, the latter you just shared? I think the opportunity is creating a team of people who really have ownership in what they're doing and can problem solve on their own, who can like fully own their role versus coming to me every time there's a problem. And what do you think we should do, Shandy? And like I created myself to be the answer person. And at first it feels good. And then you get exhausted real fast yeah. and spend so much of your time answering other people's questions because you haven't done the harder work of like acknowledging that you can find the answer without me. Yeah. And what's important to you about doing that, about keeping them in power? So ultimately, my goal is to build a big business of significance. And I can't do that if I am the answer man. Yeah, right. I was wondering if you'd go there. Like the way to overcome these challenges, the answer always is bigger vision. Because if you can get a bigger vision for what you're doing and what you're moving towards, all of a sudden the, the gap becomes like, well, I can't afford to be the problem solver. That's not my role. My role is to be over here living in my, you know, zone of genius, but we can talk about this if we want, but it's also what's most uncomfortable. Oftentimes that our work that we talked about this in our secret podcast that never is going to be heard in the world, but this idea of our work that's uniquely ours to do that we're most qualified to do and have the biggest impact in the business and our future and building our vision is oftentimes the work that scares us. Yeah. And so it's so easy to fall into, oh, I can over, I can go over here. Kind of like what you said about taking care of the kids. I, I don't want to take care of the kids. Mm -hmm. But this other thing over here where I find profound meaning in scares the hell out of me. And as long as I put that off, though, I'm kind of miserable. I think there's a natural progression there, too, if you will allow yourself to go down that road. So for a very long time, um, well, two years our business was Abby and I. We didn't have employees and every part of it was our baby. We just lived and breathed our business. And there were parts that we remember talking about, like, I could never not do this ever. Like, I just love it so much. And then we started growing. We started adding employees. We started getting new opportunities that were stretching us and just in January, we completely let go of a part of our business 
that not that long ago we said we would never stop doing. Yeah, I remember and, that. And before we even let go of it, we had put some employees in charge of it. So sometimes it takes a minute <laughs> to get to that point, but I think that it's an important process yeah. and to move through. Well, you've heard me say this. Anybody that knows me very long has heard me said this, but you put your you keep putting yourself at the bottom of another mountain. And when you do that, like that's leadership. That's courageous. That's being vulnerable. Like putting yourself back at the bottom of that new mountain. Like, oh, never done this before. It's it's also inspiring. I th- I think I think people follow courage, which is leadership. And so being a leader means being courageous, being vulnerable, putting yourself at the bottom of another mountain. And I know it inspires people. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I shared your story with a client of mine, you know, just a little bit, what the thing you let go of was a retail space kind of in the West bottoms of Kansas city, which was kind of like a, I'm going to say flea market, but oh gosh, it wasn't um, a flea antique, antique shopping experience. Yeah, it, it was pretty vintage yes, and it's it very, vintage. very Kansas city. It's very cool. Yeah. You had like yep. a little space, which did quite well. And, and it really opened a lot of doors for you. Oh yeah. And to make the choice to let that go, the client I was talking to, jewelry business starting to build their own e-commerce website and sales are growing and but yet they started the business on etsy just your story gave them courage to you know what yeah i've been feeling the pull of letting go of etsy because it's getting further and further away from what i really desire to create and that's the same thing that happened for you if i recall no it was difficult to make that decision because we have have so many so many wins in that retail space and so much of our journey started there. So there's all these emotional ties too, but we just got to this point where we knew it was the next step, whether we wanted it to be or not to let go of that, to be able to invest more of our time at the bottom of that next mountain. Yeah. And there's something about, letting go of something so that you can let something new in. Yeah. And we don't always, that's what's so scary is you let go of something that probably is generating some income and it's generating Mm -hmm. some revenue and we're letting go of that can be scary too, but sometimes you have to let go of something so that you can let something new in. And so, you know, we've been, we've been doing this podcast interview for (laughs) going on two hours now. Uh, most Two, people four, not really most sure. people won't hear the first hour, which is probably for the better. But what's left unsaid? Like, what's on your mind? You know, you think think back of our conversation we just had earlier today, tonight. Um, the kids are in bed. This is the longest conversation. We we could not have this long a conversation if the kids were awake. No way. No. What else? It's gone unsaid from. You know, if you look back on our previous conversation. We could revisit the work types because the question you just asked me was very much a wanderer question. Yeah. That you know I don't yeah. love. So, yeah, let's talk about that. I, If you're married, I highly encourage you to take personality <laughs> tests. Like, like whether, so it's the, whether it's the Enneagram or what are some of the others? Myers-Briggs, Strength yeah. Finders. Yeah, I feel um, like those are antiquated now. I only hear people talk about the Enneagram. Enneagram, So what's your number, Zach? A three. I'm also a three, but a newly discovered three. I thought that I was a one for a couple of years. Yeah. And... You were just scared to be a three. Through some self-discovery. Yeah. I realized that I'm actually a three. Who are you when you let resistance drive? And who are you really? What are... So we're both threes. We're both threes. So, yeah. That probably brings a whole unique set of challenges. (laughs) <laughs> but the the new thing we took, um, Patrick Lencioni has been working on this new framework that it's relatively new, but it's pretty unique. It's He calls it the six working geniuses. And I was at a conference last week and heard him speak about how it, it came about. And it really talks about what, what are the roles that we love to be in, like in work, especially because mm-hmm. Patrick Lencioni is more a business author. And he said he discovered there's six working geniuses. And I'm not I, I'm I'm gonna draw a blank, but I think the first one is wonder, the next one is inventor, the next one is discerner, and then galvanizer, enabler, enabler, and tenacity. Yeah. And so each one of those kind of describes a strength. And, he, and you really have two primary strengths, and you naturally have two that you're less strong in, call them weaknesses, I guess. Well, 
this was a really insightful assessment we took over the weekend. It really put a spotlight on like, oh, that's why. Because one of my biggest frustrations are, is I always want to know what you think about my thoughts. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's well said, right? Yes, that's exactly what you want. You want to tell me this whole overarching big theme, big picture all the maybes, what ifs, could be's, and you will monologue about these for long stretches of time. And then you'll say, so what do you think about that? (laughs) And I've shut down long ago in this one-sided conversation. And it was just so eye-opening for us to do this test because like his strengths of wonder and discerner was your other Mm -hmm. one. Those were my bottom, too, the ones that I was the least strong in. And so I was like, wow, that's exactly why I struggle with these kitchen conversations around your what ifs. Did you Um, call them kitchen conversations? Yep. You're, we're always in the kitchen when you yeah. start doing it. It's usually either <laughs> it's either it's six. Well, no, it's not six in the morning, but it's no, I'm not up usually when you're just waking up. And I've been up for like two and a half hours reading and journaling, and then, and then I come down in the kitchen. I'm like, what do you think about this? And then I'm just blah. Yeah. And or it's at dinner, and I'm telling you about my day, and yeah, yeah, in a very pontificating way. Yeah, and then my my <laughs> top two were inventor and tenacity. We might be messing up some of the names. Ten- Inventing and tenacity. I, I think, think so. Something like and that. And so, you know, the strengths of both of those two being more like, what what are we creating? What are what are the next steps? How are we going to get there? What are we going to do? So when he asked me these open-ended theoretical questions, I uh, don't always know how to respond. But Well, and it goes, so I can be kind of an ass <laughs> um, with my discerner, like... You know, is is your husband? I'll just be critical, like, oh, that's that's a dumb idea, or you know, I don't say that as much anymore. But there was a time where I just didn't have any tact mm-hmm. for you would share an idea, your inventor, yeah. like, hey, I, this is our next step. I'm thinking we're going to do it this way, and and I right away go to start critiquing it. You yeah, know, all the problems and all the because things that's I what the discerner of. does. Just can just yeah, just whatever. And so that would really, you didn't, you don't like that, you know, naturally. Mm-hmm. And then my wanderer, be pontificating and being philosophical and then asking you what you think to engage in that philosophical debate and discussion I'm having with myself. You're like, I, I don't know. I'm just not interested. But you're always like, what's your next step? You know, yeah. tenacity. And so anyway, it just shined a light on. It's like, oh, well, we just need to kind of accept that I am a wanderer. She's not. You're not. Mm-hmm. And... I need to stop putting you in that role and give me some grace. My discerner just is going to come out. And yeah, so that's the six working geniuses mm-hmm. in a nutshell. But it's, I'd highly recommend checking that assessment out. It's like yeah. 25 bucks. I've already it's, had a couple of my business partners take it as well so that we can kind of get a feel for where their strengths are. And it's always fun to see like how we complement each other. Yeah. Too. And that's that, that was Patrick Lencioni's big point in the, the conference I was at is, do you have all six represented in your company? Yeah. And oftentimes what he finds in his research is you don't. Mm-hmm. Like a galvanizer, for example, is someone who's just really good at getting people excited about a new idea and promoting. And, and if you have nobody in the company that's good at galvanizing, then you're going to have a lot of good ideas, but the whole team is not ever going to get on board and you're going to be frustrated. And so mm-hmm. that's just a, a general, I'm not an expert on this. Um, I've heard him speak for an hour on it. That's all my exposure, but it's really interesting to mm-hmm. build out your team. And then the other thing is break down silos in your business and look for those people that maybe people you might be missing that might be good at galvanizing and bring them up and say, Hey, how can you help us with this? Or, or find somebody in the business, even if they're just a day to, you know, an hourly employee that maybe they're good at discerning, run your ideas by them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was his whole point is just, are all those geniuses represented in your business? And are you using them um, in those critical times? So mm-hmm. there's a little mini, mini conversation. <laughs> so just to wrap up our conversation, I always like to ask my guests, you know, what's a book or a podcast or like a, 
somebody that you're following that's really inspiring you right now? So I get a lot of my book recommendations in this genre from you, obviously. And the only podcasts I really listen to are really specific interior design business related ones and yours. So you told me this weekend that I should start reading Creative Calling by Chase Jarvis. Chase Jarvis. And to be honest, I'd only gotten through the introduction and I was already getting inspired. Just coming out of a season of, I don't know, just feeling like I kind of hit that wall or winter or whatever that just left me feeling a little unmotivated and not a lot of energy around my business. And this idea of creating what I want the business to be just got me excited again. So I'm not very far into it, but I feel like it's still worth recommending, especially if you love it. Yeah, it's great. That creative, I would imagine just reading that got you back in touch with inner creative drive. And what just listening to you say that, like, that's you when you're powerful. That's you when you're at the cause of your life and your business rather than being at the effect, worried about the shit hitting the fan or losing a customer or losing an employee, you know. Like, it's so easy. It's kind of a choice. Like, what do you want to focus on? Mm-hmm. What you're creating or what you're trying to avoid? And the creative calling is all about listening to that inner creative voice that says, this is what you desire. This is what you want to make. So do your work. And, and anyway, um, we, we're about ready to enter podcast episode number three if I keep <laughs> going. Um, but, yeah, I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for the listeners, you know, how, how can they learn more about what you're up to in your business? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so we love Instagram in our world. So you can find us at Collected Living Design on Instagram. Our website is collectedlivingdesign.com. And we share a lot of behind the scenes and projects we're working on over there. So yeah, come say, come say hello. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. (laughs) So there you have it. Hopefully you really enjoyed this podcast episode. And my hope is you found it really inspirational. And also, most importantly, I hope you took away some practical things that you can start to do and apply in your own life. So finally, I have one small favor to ask of you before you go. Wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple Music or Spotify, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Love to hear your thoughts. Come find us on social media. Share it on social media. It just really helps us get the word out, helps us grow our audience. So please do that. Thanks to my team, Ashley Bolden, who handles all the admin, and Chris Skipper, who handles all the music and editing of this podcast. For more information on the Create Purpose podcast, you can go to www.createpurpose.net. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Zach.Arend. Please drop me a comment. Reach out drop me a dm i'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you're taking away from these conversations what would you like to hear more of do you have any guests that you would love to see come on the show and i'm always looking for great people to talk to people with great stories that can inspire you and so if you know of anybody send them my way love to hear from you i'm your host zach aaron and i'll see you in the next episode of the create purpose podcast bye for now